0: Production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with Michael Caruso. Robbo, as Gary Rogers called him. Now, if you've landed here without catching part one, jump back and give it a listen whenever you're ready. There is some great stuff in there, this is a ripper conversation, from contesting the Nationals after only a few races in karts and how daunting that was, the influence of the legendary Kevin Bartlett, getting the keys to his dad's race car, memories of Formula 3 in a title winning season with some gun drivers and magnificent cars. Trying F3000 and just how exhilarating that was, plus the insane budget required to pursue that path. And what we now know as Super 2, driving for a man he had immense respect for in their karting days. We begin part 2 with the pure joy of getting to race supercars, arriving at a time when the sport was in a golden era. So you'd had this wild experience in your dad's car, which may not necessarily have been refined for cornering, but it was awesome in a, in a straight-line speed sense. Now you're at the wheel of a supercar. The sport is going through this unbelievable phase, and you know, I was very fortunate to be working at Channel 10 at the time, and it was, it was um, you know, even the second tier was bubbling along really, really nicely. It was a, it was a prestigious thing to be a part of, and, and a pathway had now kind of commenced, What did a young Michael Caruso think of of racing those things?
1: Uh, Supercars is really unique and I I feel like I came in at a really good time as well. Um, There was so Mm. much hype and there was a lot, you know, obviously growing up and racing against some household names um, that were still very much a part of it It was pretty surreal um, because... Mm. You knew how competitive and how um, how much talent they had. And supercars in, in that era, those cars were so hard to drive. They were so unique. And, and I think we, if you look back today and you look at how some of the most talented drivers from Europe and, and around the world would come over and would struggle and struggle um, be, because of the type of race car it was, there was just nothing like a lot on the planet and it was so hard to relate to any mm. anything else that you'd done in your whole racing career or to translate from go-karting or Formula Ford or anything you did and translate that speed into a supercar was really, really difficult. So um, get your brain around it and and understand it and then um, and be successful at it, it was, was really, really hard. So... Um, a unique time for sure.
0: A kind of um, freakish moment opens uh, a window of opportunity for you at Bathurst. In a in a sad sense, there had been a a crash for Mark Porter in the Super Two race, which people can vividly recall. At the mountain he was scheduled to drive for Brad Jones that year. Um, he would very sadly leave us, and BJR needed to find somebody to to step in and and uh that's what what happened can you can you take us there mate was it a case of yeah. kim came to you kim jones or who it was, was it? a
1: strange scenario obviously i was in the race um where mark had had his accident and um i was one of the cars that obviously that whipped past him um and you know obviously we we're aware of where it ended but i was at the time um, when it was all happening, uh, in the evening and, you know, no one really knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting up in the truck and Brad Jones came in and said, look, we're not sure what's going on, but we need to start thinking, you know, if he's, he's obviously not going to be in a position to drive at this point, you know, being so serious mm-hmm. and he was in hospital and what have you. Um, is this something you would consider? And, Brad was really nice about it in terms of he gave me a full lay of the land and said, look, everyone in the team, there's no pressure here, but, you know, everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we only want to go racing. We don't want to disrespect Mark and, and you know, just really put it in a good position where it wasn't like there was no pressure and, you know, it was the typical, mm-hmm. you know, everyone just sort of tack and get any opportunity they can. Um, so... To go from, like, I'd never, I'd, that was my first race at Bavis. I'd never raced anything else um, at all uh, to then on the Saturday having to drive uh, in the car for the first time um, at that circuit. Um, yeah, it was pretty unique, but um, really professional team. I, I mean, that's one team that I'd never got to do anything else with, but um, I still hold in the highest regard with, you know, how Brad and, and Kim... Um, Handled the whole situation and the whole team. I mean that, yeah. They've, you can see how they've been so successful for such a long time, and and they're still there to this day. Mm.
0: So, were you just thinking about kind of being um, you're still emerging racer uh, um, enduros and things like that? I think there's a WPS <laughs> stint here in Jeez. 2007, is there not? Before you ended up at at um, at GRM.
1: Yep. So WPS <laughs> – um, Interesting year because, um, uh-huh. obviously, I'd first signed up and I was meant to be driving with Max, um, just purely out of height reasons. But in saying that, Bargs was the teammate, so, you know, wouldn't have mattered who I drove with, to mm. be fair. But um, drove with Max. Yeah. We – I can't remember where we finished, to be honest, at Sandown. Um, the cars – and I at that, at that time, I was actually driving in a Tickford DVS car. So the car was a rocket ship. It handled mm-hmm. Unreal – um or, you know, I was obviously doing a good job in that car. Um and then when we went to Bathurst, mm. um <laughs> I'll never forget For clarity, saying to the, Max Wilson. To the I teams will. that oh, well, at least to the drivers. Um I'm like, it's easier to drive my DBS car than it is to drive your car <laughs> which they appreciated. <laughs> but um yeah, it was it was a difficult car. But then they end up pairing up myself and Grant Denner. Um the great man himself so that was that was pretty cool yeah. we um and again I can't even remember where we finished that year but it wasn't um it wasn't that successful unfortunately but it was look you know you take away something from every single experience that you do um and yeah. um yeah little bits and pieces somewhere down the track in my in my repertoire let's say <laughs>
0: When I have conversations now with Gary Rogers around stuff to do with the Australian Racing Group or the broadcast we do and and what have you, they're often very short, um, but they're fun. And, you know, Gregory, we want you to do this, and da-da-da-da-da, and, and, you know, your call might be over in 60 to 90 seconds kind of deal. How did the call from... Gary Rogers to Michael Caruso come about. Can you recall oh. that conversation and uh, what what transpired?
1: I remember lots of things that Gary said to me. Um, this being one of them, but it was like a few days before Christmas, and um, the call to tell me that was driving. So, but let me take a step back. Um, when he said, "Look, I need you to come fly down here," and um, so I want, I want to know who you are and have a chat with you um, and can you come down and and we need you to be here tomorrow. Or so. It was some ridiculous request like, you know, stop everything and get on the plane sort of thing. Okay, righto, Gary. So I went down <laughs> and I know Lee and a few members in the team um, will kill me if I don't say this bit. But get a high car, drive down <laughs> to the team, walk out, and I'm in a suit. Rusty. <laughs> so I get out and uh, go have this interview with Gary in his office, um, with a suit and tie on and, and I could feel the eyes on me everywhere. Um, everyone going, Oh my God, have a look at this guy. Uh, Who is this try-hard? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, couldn't have asked for, I couldn't have told him I was trying any harder. Um, but yeah, obviously we had a good chat, uh, which was which was pretty cool. He actually that day the team were doing a Cummins appearance, literally up the road, um, and and I didn't think about it till later. But the, obviously the interview went that well that he's like, jump in the car, I, we're going for a drive. So he takes me up to Cummins, and um, the whole race team are there doing a pit stop challenge thing with the race car, and I've turned up, and the whole team's there, and all the sponsors or the whole Cummins is is there. So there's like two hundred people there. Um then he starts walking around introducing me and what have you. Um and um and Holdsey was there. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and Holdsey absolutely <laughs> pissed himself. Like, you know, once he saw me standing in the <laughs> suit, what and he never <laughs> lets me forget it to this day. But um yeah, that obvious couple of week wind the clock forward a couple more weeks, uh, a couple of days before a few days before Christmas, he rang me up and said, Michael, um you've got the drive, but you've got to be here again in ridiculous time frame. Move down. You have to be here in two weeks Move to and Melbourne. you start work yeah. on Monday, two weeks time. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, this is what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. You'll be working here full time, so on and so forth. Um, so I jumped on, I don't know if it was realestate.com or something like that and tried to find a, a little apartment and, and yeah, picked up the life and moved down there.
0: What was your other Nine to five <laughs> job oh, with them.
1: I was lucky. I was jack of all trades. I'd go through each department within the business. So, um, mm-hmm. I started off on
0: top. Were you selling cars? No,
1: well, sorry, this is when they just shifted huh. over to where they current where okay. they are right now, um, and mm-hmm. so there was no car dealership as such. But um, I mm-hmm. was I was involved. Basically, when I first went in there, I had to do all the tyres and wheels um, and cleaning all of the floor mats. And at the time, these floor mats were these tiles and they were so heavy. Uh, But you had to get them out in the gurney. And anyone that's lived in Melbourne or lives that's living in Melbourne will know winter runs for virtually 11 months of the year. Uh, But every week, you know, every two weeks, getting out all these tiles and gurneying them off with degreaser and so on and so forth in the wash bay, then doing the same with the wheels. It was, Lee used to love it because he would come in, he'd just wrapped up his apprenticeship in quotes here <laughs> <Quite> um, <unquote. laughs> with the team. So he, he went from doing all these jobs to handing it over to me where I had to do them. Um, and yeah, they, it, it, that was, that was the worst part of it. But, um, I, I was lucky cause I got to work on my own race car. So I quickly hmm. developed a good relationship with everyone in the team because you're working on the car and you're working with them to improve your car and so on and so forth. Um, and you learn lots as well when you're actually working on your own race car. So, um, hmm. as much as everyone gives it slack, there's so, there's a lot of benefit to you know to actually working in the hmm. team. Um, and and yeah, there was it's still something that I'll never forget. Actually, one I, I need to say it, and I don't know if it's ever been told but you'll have to ask Jamie Winkup about the story with the paint tin uh, in the ute. Um, <laughs> Tell but, us about that. Because, you know, one of the good things about going in that team is there's lots of stories of other drivers and, you know, what they used to do and <laughs> what he stuffed up and do, so on and yeah. so forth. Um, but one of, the, one, of my, uh, one of the ones they told me about Winkup was he was doing some parts delivery as well and what have you. Um and I'm not sure how there was paint there was a paint tin in the back of his car, but he basically painted the whole road from like Danny all the way to like Box Hill or somewhere. It just ran out running out the back of the Ute. Um like a big trail. Uh so um everyone's got a story from there which is Pretty cool. There's a few guys that are still there like Gypsy and what have you, who no doubt you know Rusty. Yeah. He probably has the no, most stories. No to legendary be fair. stories.
0: <laughs> I can hear the big deep voice over now. Before he was GM of Triple Eight. <laughs> um, now <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. If you go to work if you go to work for GRM, if you go to work for Gary, you've got to have a nickname. So Lee Holdsworth was Lethal, Bargs is Bargs, so on and so on. <laughs> you get you get Robbo, as in Robinson Crusoe. How did he came up with that? He, someone else came up with that, and how did you Gary feel about could come it? Come up
1: with a nickname <laughs> like that. Um, he. It stuck too. I know. Well, don't you worry. He makes sure it sticks when he gives you a nickname. It's it, there's there's no negotiating either because I tried to get rid of it for so long at the beginning. I'm like, it's not even. You don't even spell Caruso the same way. Um, yeah, it, it didn't work to the point. I don't know if you remember this. You would have definitely been there. But we went to Darwin the first year, and he put Robo uh, instead of Caruso. It had Robo, right? And we went out in the first practice session and they made us take he had the shits because they made us take it off they're like no that's not his name it has to be by your enter it name and so on and so forth and he was peeking because <laughs> like he when he when he takes the piss on someone obviously when it's like no no we're gonna make this stick and this is as to my point of saying no no when he makes sure it sticks that's why he put it on the car because I was like pushing back on it and he's like no no we're gonna put it on the race car now <laughs> <laughs> so, if awesome. it had been up to him, I would have raced with Robbo on the, on the windows.
0: You and lethal, I mean, you obviously knew each other um, a bit, but you really hit it off there, mate, didn't you? The pair of you.
1: Yeah, Halsey and I had a had a great relationship, um, and still do to this day. Clearly, uh, it's mm. you know pretty unique in that scenario where you're in a competitive outfit and you're both trying to win um you know the old saying is is very accurate you know the first person you need to beat is your teammate and what have you but where we were at as a team it, Lee and I quickly identified that the only way we were going to bring the team forward was by working together um so there was a lot of mutual respect for each other in that regard where if we were going to be too busy fighting each other, no one was going to benefit, including the team. So mm. um, we were striving to, to bring everyone up um, and, and push everyone along with the team themselves and they were on the same page. So, you know, it was great to be in a position where we didn't feel threatened by each other and we could focus on actually just getting the results that we deserved um, with the equipment that we had.
0: Can be a brutal game. At what point did you feel like you were kind of safe and and solidified in either the sport or or at GRM? I mean, there is obviously high points made, you know, like Darwin wins and and so on. But but what was the point where you you went right? I'm I'm uh, I'm comfortable here. I, I feel like I have uh, a good direction with, with the car with Lee etc. And and we're going we're going somewhere.
1: Uh, I reckon it was my first Baffus with the team. We well. We we qualified in the ten, um, and we had a pretty strong day, and we got into the last last stint, and I think we were coming um, we were coming third with like I don't know thirty laps to go, and the engine broke, and what have you, and um, I remember walking away from that weekend, going, okay, well, if we can do this now, we can come back and actually fight for something, um, you know, year in year mm-hmm. out, so. Even Holds, he said to me after, he goes, "No, nah, mate, you'll be right. If, you know, the weekend we've just had together, that, um, that you know, and he knew Gary is if, if not it. better than me, but um, it sort of cemented me in because Gary's was very interesting. It was Bathurst or nothing for Gary. If you, if you were going to be decent mm-hmm. or at least be valuable in the team, um, you had to be competitive at that track and you had to have a... S- particular mindset or at least show that at the event which um yeah it was Is still to this day some of the stuff that used to happen is is pretty funny to think about
0: now did the boys i think you shared this with my buddy aaron noonan in his uh, podcast perhaps did the boys do a little something to your car what happened to your road car <laughs> was it stick it up was it uh, i think there was a bit of, Mate, a, bit I've of a long that, history there? of
1: great road vehicles <laughs> Uh, and my Mazda One Two One is is was definitely one of them. Beautiful. Um, they couldn't have they couldn't have been more of a Barbie car than that thing. Uh, although it was you know navy blue, but driving around in a bubble, <laughs> being a supercar driver was was pretty unique. But um, we, I'm just I'm pretty sure it was Gold Coast uh, because we'd done a special livery at Bathurst Um, And we continued Mm -hmm. that livery on uh, because everyone loved it so much, so on and so forth. So we went to Gold Coast and there was only like a round left, but we had a couple of sticker sets left over. So they were like, okay, we're not going to use them. We've got enough spares left over for the rest of the year. Um, And I came home and went to the workshop and my whole car was literally wrapped like the supercar. (laughs) you know, Caruso (laughs) on the windows, everything. So it wasn't just like Valvoline up the side and what have you, but it literally had my name on it and what have you. And we got back to the workshop that night, you know, some ridiculous hour would have been like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So there was no option Mm. but to take that car home. Um, And I was living in Caulfield in a little unit, a little two-bedder unit at the time. And I remember driving home. And parking it out the front on the street, just thinking, oh no, this is this is a nightmare <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then we ended up leaving it on there for a while. They wouldn't let me take it off. Um, and then when I did take it off, it pulled all the paint off, so
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: just destroyed the one two one. Anyway, long story short, um, no one wanted the one two one anyway, including me. <laughs>
0: You have a great support framework around you now, mate. In a beautiful wife, and you have you have kids now as well. At what point is she with you on this mission and, uh, and so She on?
1: moved down as soon as I moved down, um, which was which I was quite fortunate to be honest, because um, yeah. I only been with my wife now, Danny, for about eight months, and I said, "Look, this opportunity's come up. Um, I'm moving." you can either come or you don't, you know, you don't come basically. Um, And she she didn't actually, it didn't take her a moment to to decide what she wanted to do. She said, no, I'm coming. Um, She hadn't asked her parents at the time. She was only eight, just turned 18, mind you. So uh, she went and asked and and obviously, yeah, um, and then moved down. But um, driving down to to Melbourne in a Mazda 121A, I was probably more worried we weren't going to make it <laughs> um, than that little five-speed manual um, on the highway. But, yeah, we, yeah, it, I'm very, very fortunate to have a, I mean, even to this day, you know, we were just talking about the Enduros um, and my kids were like, oh, are we going to come and watch? And, um, you know, they, they love Fantastic. coming out to support. So I'm pretty lucky that, that I've got those those people around me.
0: Mm. race winner in supercars. What did that mean to you? What did it mean to your dad and so on after all the, the years of trying, the very pinnacle of the sport in Australia? And, you know, the name Caruso is in the record books. Very cool.
1: Uh, you don't really think about those things until you you sort of you're at a point where you it's not happening as such. Um, and, and obviously that yeah. wasn't until I'd stopped full-time driving, but I, I guess looking at it now... Winning uh, in supercars wasn't something that I thought would happen, you know, in only my second year, but particularly when uh, at Darwin where it happened, you know, in that race, I had to race it. It was myself and Lowndes that were sort of fighting Mm -hmm. it out for the win for such a long period of the race and, you know, racing against someone like Craig Lowndes at the time in, you know, at at his, at arguably one of his best points of his career in Triple um, to come away with a race win was, was phenomenal. You know, it's in a, in a team like GRM at the time, um, you know, the whole team was built around some misfits fundamentally. Um, and, and still is mm. arguably today a Gary giving people, <laughs> what, you know, a shot in motorsport. Um, but he seems mm. to be able to get the most out of people and, and on that day, we we clearly had, as a group, not just myself individually, but um, the ability to, to topple triple um, eight in some of their best and most um, dominant years um, is, is is just yeah amazing uh, to be honest. So uh, to go head to head and and win, um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I know my dad. Um, would have been very happy, although not there that day. Um, he was definitely the first person that um, that I spoke to. Michael's former teammate and friend Lee Holdsworth scored his first win in the great race in 2021. But it took a while to sink in after all those years of trying. Like at the time, I... I think I was that stressed and that had that much adrenaline that it hadn't sunk in yet, like mm. it was it was quite strange, and I reckon I get more emotional about it now than what I did at the time it was like we just won bathis and, and it wasn't it just wasn't registering in my head what You'd done. That we'd actually done it. Mm. You can find Lee Holdsworth in the Rusty's Garage Library. Surely he wasn't involved in the ambush sticker job on Michael's cute little road car at Gary Rogers Motorsport. Now back to
0: the pod. Your career has two really solid chapters, mate, and I think that's that's uh, an indicator of your, your loyalty. So there is the GRM chapter, and we'll get to Kelly's slash Nismo slash Ultima in a second here. Was it difficult to leave Gary's and was there a deal that perhaps people don't know about that could have sent you somewhere else, uh, another high-profile opportunity perhaps that didn't come to pass?
1: It was difficult to leave Gary's. Um, it was, but I feel like I needed the personal growth as well. It wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't just, you know, about winning. I, I wanted to change um, and obviously for me it was, it, I didn't contemplate anything other than Nissan. Um, you know, them coming back into the sport, um, although some other opportunities, that was sort of something from a personal point of view was, okay, this is different enough. What they're trying to evolve and change is um, something that I wanted to be a part of. And I don't know if it's probably more to my technical um, enjoyment of motorsport (laughs) um but something to to sort of utilize what I enjoy doing not just the driving side but to be a part of and help build and grow um was something but it was extremely difficult to leave Gary's and um you know he'd give obviously give me my shot been there for five years um yeah it's it you know you just don't you can only make the decisions, and I always say this. And I, you know, s- still some of my friends in supercars now um, who who ask me about some, you know, ask me for their opinions on changes and and ideas around teams and moving. But you you can only make the decision at the time with the information that you have, and um, and that's you know mm-hmm. something I'll I'll never look back on or regret. But I, I you know I needed that change as well.
0: Now Charlie Schwerkolt tells me you're very good with pit tours. You're very good in a in a corporate sense. I know we've worked together on television, so that doesn't surprise me. But Rico does tell me he had trouble, I think, with you and James Moffat wearing the factory pants. Is oh, this absolutely. true at Nissan?
1: It's one thing that that, <laughs> that the Nissan Motorsport factory pants were not good and they had zero style. It was horrendous. Um <laughs> <laughs> He'll take that to heart because he was the one that used to organize all the <laughs> merchandise and everything. <laughs> so, um, but his level of detail is second to none, I might add. Like, we had this in motorsport socks and shoes and bags and backpacks, and oh gosh, it just go. the list goes on and on and on. But uh, the cargo pants uh, was definitely not saying James and I. Um, (laughs) we're going to take two. We were the cooler side of the garage, Rusty.
0: It did open up um, opportunities for you beyond the Ultimate Program, which I think is really cool. I reckon you and I ran into one another at Fox Sports at one stage and you were off overseas with Nissan. It might have been to one of their events in Japan, perhaps. So you did some other sporting activity um, with them. There was 12-hour and, and all sorts, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, there?
1: and that's that's the extension of, of what I want to do as well, you know, opening up avenues to things that I would never would have had the opportunity at the time with GRM. So being with a global brand mm. and having that presence um, and, and evolving myself outside of the race car was, was a part of that. Um, and, you know, we did, you know, the Nismo Festival is, it's hard to describe if Mega. you've never been, but mm. um, it's basically, I'd picture it like one of our most successful race meetings, let's call it like the Sandown 500, the Stands for I think there was 65,000 people there, literally just to celebrate Nissan. Um, nothing else purely cool. that uh, cool. every single you know mm. all their historically winning race cars and, and good or all bad cars and then literally a double decker bus taking people around the racetrack while their race cars are on the racetrack you know some of the things you just think wow we talk about health and safety over here and how strict we are <laughs> and they've got race cars <laughs> going around flat out like as fast as they can it's there's mm. they there's one thing that most of those drivers over there do, is they only have one speed and it's qualifying speed, nothing else.
0: <laughs> mm. Now, Rico says you were the world champion gear shifter, gear changer. He said, but you know what? They might have looked rushed, but he had this way of not upsetting the car in the process when he did that. It was a crazy thing to watch on on the onboards when we would we would get it. And he said, and then Mike would be so smooth – in other parts of the lap where you where you weren't so busy, it it worked for you, mate, didn't it?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. Um, <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> Was it just a feel? Yeah, thing? I don't know. It's <laughs> funny. Everyone, when I when I drive, it doesn't feel like I'm doing it that fast. To be honest, I know that sounds silly, okay. but it just I don't know if it's a reaction or what it is, but. Um, feelings clearly a big thing in motorsport isn't it you know at the end of the day that's all you've got to mm. go off to know um how much grip you have and so on and so forth but um gear shifting is especially cuz the you know the year that I'd got in um obviously they went to the sequential gearbox um as you'd be aware so gone was the old h mm. pattern um and and into that so i don't know if it's something that I never really had a sequentialist that worked that way. The sequential in our Formula 3 car was very, mm. very different. Um, so, it's, I mean, I'd always been known in my karting days for being very, very smooth. So, um, But I know mm. the focus was always on my gear shifting being very, very rough. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just needed a, go, a, a
0: lever in my go-kart to bang. When you look back on it, when you frame that Altima chapter, I mean... Uh, critics will go it was an unloved road car. You only ever found them as as you know, maybe a rental car and so <laughs> on. A lot of love, heart and soul went into it from the the Kelly operation. It yielded some stuff, but but in truth probably not what we hoped it would. When you look back on it now, how do you oh sort it was of think tough i mean i, I hmm.
1: if you look at what's going on in the current uh supercars paddock and um, we talk about parody and what have you, and they make changes virtually every weekend at the moment for, to keep parody. We would go seasons <laughs> without any changes, um, <laughs> which made it difficult, you know, it, it, and multiple reasons, mind you. But um, it still blows me away. You know, there was lots of promises, let's say, that were, you know, to Nissen and um, and so on and so forth, or the hierarchy of Nissan about getting them up to speed. But hmm. um, they were invested. I mean, they did, what, six or seven years in the sport, which was which was pretty good. We saw hmm. others come and go um, in that period. Uh, but, you know, they, they very much love motor racing, um, and I think the history that they had in Australia has clearly um, drawn them to supercars. Um, and, and to that hmm. fact, you know, some of the stuff we used to do, you know, Jim Richards for that who obviously massive fan of, um, you know, getting to do some cool PR, yep. PR stuff with him, um, which was good. I mean, but is there a more cool or relaxed race car driver than than Jim Richards? Uh, I, I
0: highly Jim doubt Richards, it. Jim Richards, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Very cool you got to do that. Now you are about to pair up with Frosty for the Enduros Gen 3. We'll get your thoughts on that in a second. Was it tough to kind of stop the full-time supercars driving and how did you um compartmentalize that what 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 did you because you know you now live back in sydney you've moved um as i said at the top of the pod here gone i've kind of gone full circle back back to sydney there's a job that we should probably ask you about and what you're doing now as well but how did you cope with that kind of move or were you ready
1: uh, i don't think you're ever ready for when it's over full-time driving mm. um and and obviously I I I didn't think I that should have been my end. But and you know everyone has will have their own opinion, whatever you, which is fair. But um, I just wasn't happy with how it ended. You know we went ten I think or twelve races in a row with mechanical failures, and so it was just a you know it was a nightmare year. So it wasn't like mm. oh okay we give it we gave it our all, and you know it just didn't happen the following year. But fundamentally when. Um, when the funding or at least the sponsorship runs dry, you know, something's got to change. So, and, you know, and I can appreciate that mm-hmm. now looking looking back on it. But um, it was, you know, obviously a difficult transition to go from doing something every single day that you love um, and having a full-time job to having a family and then going, okay, what do I do now? Because you quickly shift yeah. your men- mm-hmm. mentality of I can't just think about me and, you know, if I was single and didn't have kids and a mortgage or anything like that, you could put everything on the line and, and try to get back in and so on and so forth. But uh, when you have a responsibility as you get older, um, you, you know, mm-hmm. the, sometimes you've, you've got to think of others and, and that's, that's ultimately the big shift in, in the headspace is, um, is putting, putting my family first and, um, and focusing
0: on that. So, you are talking to us from the office late in the afternoon. It's uh, in a cool little quiet space there. And I think if um, what you said to me before we clicked uh, go on this, before we, we started recording, um, the company has a bit of a motor racing yes. connection for you yeah, too, I'm does it not?
1: Quite lucky. So um, when I moved back to Sydney just after COVID or during COVID rather, um, some long-time family friends of ours who we went karting with, the Lumbu's family, um, they had their own uh, successful family business. Um, and, uh, Lyndon, one of the brothers said, Hey, I'm running the business now. Um, and we're out cycling. We both love cycling or well, the whole family does. So we're out cycling together. And he said, look, do you want to come and try sales in the corporate landscape? Um, and you might've mentioned a bit earlier, um, uh, the commercial side of the business is something that I, that I clearly enjoyed while this you know, motor racing and, mm-hmm. um, and had a strong connection to. So, Ah, uh, the transition was quite easy for me to to sort of come into the corporate landscape and um, particularly in the sales side, because as you would be appreciate Rusty, you're around it all the time and know how well a race car driver can sell themselves. <laughs> Sell. <laughs> <laughs> so, not say by any means I'm an extremely good salesperson, but clearly you have to have that knack and communication um, and relationship ability, mm-hmm. or at least the ability to connect with people. Um, so, and see, opportunity. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and be optimistic. Uh, you know, <laughs> all Just the sales things, <laughs> lots of crossover. So, um, yeah, quite fortunate because Linden obviously saw that in me. Um, you know, in in what I what I the tools that I had, let's say, in, in the shed, um, mm-hmm. to use. And, um, yeah, now two years down the track, I'm, um, our director of sales at Syndeticom and looking after a team of 11
0: people, salespeople and, uh, yeah, having a good time. Uh, Charlie Schwergold said to me, if I've done this right, you've got, uh, you've had a couple of hours in the car, uh, in the Gen 3 car earlier this year, ride day at Sydney Motorsport Park. There'll be a chance to test before sand down and maybe another ride day prior to Bathurst, if I'm right. So give us your impressions of, of Gen 3, um, how much you're looking forward to the Enduros, hooking up with your buddy in Mark Winterbottom and, and running this command' I can't
1: talk highly enough of the Gen 3 car, to be honest. It's um, it's definitely a driver's race car. There is no doubt about it. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I was watching the first few events, I think, I don't know if anyone noticed, but you could see the drivers were having a hard time adjusting, and that was locking brakes, going off the road, spinning out, so on and so forth. And you rarely used to see mistakes from drivers the past few years, Mm. particularly in supercars. Um, And that was purely down to a refined piece of machinery. Um, Everyone understood what they were trying to get out of the car. The cars had been worked, you know, to get the most out of them from a mechanical point of view as well. These cars, now particularly because the arrows come off quite a bit. Yes, the the tyre grip has come up, but you've really got to drive the car well and it's very easy to make a mistake, um, which brings a bit of enjoyment back for the driver in my opinion. It's harder to drive, um, Mm -hmm. so you have to be more accurate, precise. You have to – you can't – and it's not going to be the same every lap. So it allows you the opportunity to rely on on your skills, let's say, um, to ensure that you're consistent um, and you can – understand what the car is delivering in terms of feel and and how mm. you generate the most out of it so um, I think they definitely went down the right path of removing the aero and clearly it's got uh, the engines a bit faster as well so it's fast in a straight line mm. um, yeah so I'm looking forward to Sandow will be a good event I think as well you know having a, a bunch of co-drivers who aren't really experienced it's sort of bringing that nacked of what we saw in the first couple of events where the drivers were struggling and or, you know, coming to grips with the mm. new car. So it, mm. it's, it should be an exciting event, I think, the, the 500.
0: Do you think it'll be, you know, from a fan point of view, genuinely kind of unpredictable in that sense? And what is the the secret? Like if you and Frosty are in sync in what you want with the car and minimising the mistakes you talk about, I mean, is that the kind of thing you're really going to need to be it, successful? It could here?
1: be very much like 2013, uh, if you're fortunate enough for those listening to, to remember, what that race was like. It was, and I say Bathurst is what I'm referring to, but it was chaotic. You know, there was so Mm -hmm. much going on. Um, And I think it has all those elements. There's so many unknowns as well. You know, we talk about fuel stops where they've slowed the fuel up. I mean, I think they were predicting like a 55 second fuel stop just to go from empty to full. How much that changes the race Mm -hmm. is yet to be seen. But um, from my knowledge, you talk about Sandown, it's a minute eight, minute ten a lap, let's say. Um, and if people are doing virtually, mm-hmm. it's going to take them a lap to fuel the car up. It changes the whole strategic approach to the race, um, let alone dealing with Melbourne weather, Rusty.
0: <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, there's, it's got all the elements to be intriguing. Um, you know, how many different race winners we've seen this year as well. It, it's. Hmm. I think it'll be a great event, a great couple of events. Um, let's just hope they extend it to Gold Coast or something as well <laughs>
0: for the enduro drivers. Yeah, cool, cool. Proper, proper enduro cup again. I'd love to. I'd love to see that. Couple to finish. You've been super with your time here, and we want to get you home to your, uh, to your beautiful family. Um, you did come and play with us in TCR for a while, so it'd be remiss of me not to talk about that carouse on the loose in television was a great deal of fun i love that the rawness of it and 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 just barreling up to people with a microphone and and going for it that was that was ace and you got to run in the alfa romeo too as well which might have had its frustrations at at um at times did you enjoy that car i mean diametrically different to what we've just been talking about with gen 3
1: very different but can i tell you before i dive into that what i did enjoy most it was absolutely my pieces with yourself russie um because, oh, cool, and and this isn't just to pump you up, mate, but I, I honestly enjoy them because they're so natural. It's and when you're working with someone okay. uh, that you can bounce off without having to think, wait, what's that person going to say next, or what are they going to do next, so you can be prepared or at least position yourself mm-hmm. appropriately. Um, yeah, I had some of the best fun in TV that I've you know ever had working alongside yourself, and and I hold you in the, one of the highest regards in terms of personalities and terms of the job itself your knowledge and clearly today you come absolutely loaded um as as i should have expected (laughs) being the professional you are so um i yeah i really love the tv side of it um and that working alongside yourself and others it was cool very very cool but uh back to your question with the alpha um and particularly uh in tcr they're they're a very different car to drive to anything else that I've ever driven, uh, much so to the point where you have to really reposition your brain um, to do all the opposite of anything you've ever done because majority of the time, you know, for me at least, has been rear-wheel drive car. So um, I'll never forget Mm. going to Phillip Island and getting a bit of oversteer and you just instantly, you know, you get out of the throttle. You know, that's just the normal thing, you know, because you don't want to go that way Mm -hmm. anymore. (laughs) But um, to reprogram your brain to go full throttle or put more throttle in as you get oversteer is is just really hard to come to grips with. So it took me a little bit to get around that. But once you get around that, um, lots of fun to drive. Obviously, um, yeah, yeah, they're 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 fast. Um, you've got to wheel them really hard as well. Like you physically got to drive them quite hard. Mm. Um, yeah, it's good when it's going well. It's going. It's good fun
0: to drive. Fans would love us to finish with the car. Now it might be an emotional attachment to a car that you won something in. It might be the beautiful recollection you shared before of driving the the um, the F three thousand car. What's the one that in you know maybe makes the hairs on the back of your neck come up that you've got a connection to?
1: Uh, I think my dad's sports sedan car. To be honest, purely from a sentimental point of view, um, yeah, you cool. know, obviously not the best handling car, but from the point of view that you know that was it was my dad's heart and soul in that car and you could feel that when you drive it you know it was so hmm. raw um he knew the whole thing inside out clearly and for him to sort of, it it felt like it was a little bit of a um you know passing of of the torch let's say you know in terms of okay yeah, it's nice. time for you to 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 move on into to motor racing um and hmm. Yeah, to drive that was was cool because I know um, a lot of a lot of my competitors, their fathers, race as well and what have you, and and, and to be able to, to to share that experience with Dad, I know, um, I, I just wish we had cameras at the time. Um, I think I had a Nokia thirty one ten or whatever the hell they were back in the end, the little bricks. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like to be able to take a photo of him yeah. while I was out to there driving that. because mm-hmm. um, I know he would have been he would have enjoyed it probably more than I did to be fair. Um, so yeah, that's, mm. it's funny, they're the little moments in my mind that I look back now, um, and talking about cameras, we didn't really focus on taking photos and videos and things like that when I was growing up, obviously, mm. cause we're always in the now and this is what's in front of us. Let's get this <laughs> done. So, um, anyhow, that's, uh, definitely the car that I
0: enjoyed. Thank you so much. 90 minutes of, of walking down memory lane with you and it probably doesn't do it justice because there's more things I know. Um, congratulations on everything so far. Have an awesome time in that Gen 3 machine with, uh, with Mark Winterbottom and Team 18. Congratulations on what you've done in your career on a personal note I think it's an absolute crime that you are not in a full-time drive but that's my that's my personal view and hopefully we get to do some stuff together in the media again and have a a good laugh about our mate Davey Reynolds and some craziness about you guys doing podcasts. (laughs) I promise you
1: if we get um we get the show up and running mate we need to get you on because (laughs) um we need someone like you that can slap us around a little bit and keep us in line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, thank you for having me on, Rusty. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure uh, to, to be able to spend the time with you that I have. And um, even to be honest, I'm, I'm chuffed that you uh, reached out to, to have me on the show because, um, I, as I said, I hold you very highly and clearly you have a knack for what you do. Um, clear, you can't be as successful as you are um, and, get, and go as long as you have um, with respects, mate. So um, congratulations and thank you again, mate. Happy to come on anytime and work with you anytime I can.
0: There is only one problem here. You haven't tried to sell me anything uh, in this <laughs> podcast. I thought you were in sales now. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Have I got a deal for you? <laughs> Thank you, mate. On you. <laughs> Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series editor and producer is Thomas Dallard. Audio production by Link Kelly. If you've got a guest suggestion, get in touch with me via social media. The Garage, that's where a journey begins with a tank full of passion-fueled stories.